When I read this lesson, initially when I saw the title, Boundaries and Work, my first thought was, it's probably going to be boring. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. But the more I read it, I thought, wow, there's a lot here that we need to really look at and be honest about. You know, we've talked about boundaries in our spouses, boundary in our kids, boundary in family, boundary in friends. We've looked at each component of our life. If you were to draw yourself as a spoke of a wheel, we're looking at each one of those spokes that supports that wheel so that it can move through life. Work is a very vital part. Not only is it a vital part to helping sustain us financially, but it's also a vital part as you and I live out the testimony we have for the Lord. And that's kind of some of the things that are going to come out in this is the importance to realize that work is scriptural, has a biblical basis, that sin nature in the world has turned it into something negative, but God has always wanted it to be something positive. He wants it to be another extension of him through us to those who may not know him. So there's a lot of points in this lesson, and so we're going to go ahead and get right into it. The origin of work. Work existed before the fall. It was always part of God's plan for humanity. When you think about what he said in Genesis, Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moved on the ground. Sounds like work, doesn't it? <laughs> so what was the difference in the work that he had and in the work we had? Work existed before the fall. It was always a part of God's plan for humanity. We need to remember that. Work is not a negotiable. It was always there. It was always there. It's going to be a part of everyday life, everything we do. The painful aspect of work came after the fall and the following curses. The painful aspect came after the fall. That's when he said, because you have sinned, you were disobedient, there will be thorns and briars and insects and pestilence. And He gave all those things. That all came as a result of, of uh, the fall. But work was there before. Genesis 3, 17-19 tells us, Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which, about which I commanded you that you must not eat, Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat. All of it, of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since it was from you, since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Part of the curse was it was going to be hard. It was going to be painful. And if you think about the curse for the woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Now, don't try to tell a woman that wasn't a lot of work having that baby, right? <laughs> you may get a fist in the face. But the pain part of it, pain in life was just not about childbirth pain. Think about the pain in life in raising children. To see them get hurt at times and not be able to do anything about it. To see them have to go through all the struggles. But that probably, I know in our family, my wife struggles. She hears one of the kids are sick and not well. She goes, oh, and I'm not there to give them soup and do all this stuff. And it just tears her up. I'm like, they're young adults. They'll get through. And she's like, you don't understand. You're not the mother. You know, we go back. You, know, <laughs> you don't have a mother's heart. I said, I guess I don't. So, <laughs> But think about the moms. If their kid is sick and they're not available to them to help them, they get all upset because that's part of 
that connection. It's, it's the pain of seeing your child suffering and hurt. This ownership was a consequence of the fall when Adam and Eve tried to pass the blame on to the other. This ownership was a consequence of the fall when Adam and Eve tried to pass the blame on to each other. That's important. Because prior to the fall, it sounded like it was a paradise and there was harmony. There was no blaming. You never, you know, there's nothing in scriptures that indicate that there was any friction. In fact, it's probably more... I'm not sure what the word I want to use. It's more of a point that they actually loved each other prior to the fall. Dissension came as a result of the fall. The disownership of my responsibility to this relationship, to this work, became an issue. Before the fall, Adam was connected to love, the love of God. And from that loved state, he worked. The fall caused separation between love and work. When God said, you will be uh, in rule, you know, domination of all this earth. You're going to rule it. You're going to name everything. There's every indication that Adam was loving that work. And he was loving it because of his relationship with the Father. He took pride in what he did. After the fall, all of a sudden there was a disownership. That's not my job. That was her fault. She was supposed to be the one that watched out for that. No, it, he didn't tell me. You know, I've heard several dialogues. We don't have any clue as to whether... Because Adam was the one that God gave the command to. So did he pass that on to Eve? You're not supposed to eat of that tree? There's not a verse that says he did or he didn't. But it makes you wonder, was there a breakdown in communication? The love-motivated want-tos became the law-motivated should. The love-motivated want-to, I want to do this work, I enjoy these animals, I enjoy the fruits and the trees and the vegetables. Now it's, I have to, I should have. All this adds up to the human race being unable to take responsibility and work effectively by owning its behaviors, talents, and choices. I thought that statement kind of signed up, sounded, um, that statement kind of just you know, framed the whole situation of what we're going through right now. When you look at the world around us, it just seems like everything's backwards. What did they say the other day? More people have signed up for disability than have gotten jobs this past month. I sit there and scratch my head. How long are we going to be able to sustain this? You know, that's the economy. That's the life that we're in now. Is it's it seems to be more of, and I don't in any way ever criticize anybody who needs disability. But you start to wonder: Are all these cases true, or are all these cases that need to be on welfare true? Or are they just not wanting to be responsible? Makes you wonder. That was the origin of work. God created it perfect. God created it with a love base. When Adam and Eve sinned, as a result of Satan's deception, it changed. It's no longer I want to work. It's more I have to or I should have. We're going to talk a little about work and uh, character development. Christians often have a warped way of looking at work. They see it as secular and somehow separate from their biblical responsibilities. 
Christians have developed or have a warped sense of, well, that's work. It has nothing to do with church. It has nothing to do with, do with the Bible. You know, I go to church on Sunday. You know, I get my heart right, and I try to live all week long. They're saying, no, you don't separate the two. When you leave church and worship on Sunday, there should be a continuation of that worship with you and the Lord as you're in your work environment and people see that. Let's look at Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. A verse in Colossians where Paul was really emphasizing to the, the uh, Christian believers in Colossus, your work doesn't take a separate role. What you do at work is going to be an extension of your relationship with God. And you need to realize that when you're working, you're not doing it for that particular man in that boss position. You're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it as a testimony for the Lord. Work is a spiritual activity. In our work, we display the image of God as we reflect His character to others. That was the part that started to get my attention. I mean, I've heard this, but I hadn't thought about it for a while. Have you ever thought of your work as a spiritual activity? <laughs> I see some smiles. Mm, not really. <laughs> I want to throw something at my boss. I guess that <laughs> I guess that threw that out the door. It wasn't spiritual in the sense of God's spiritual. It was probably spiritual in the sense of get off my case. But yeah, we do you think about your work as a spiritual activity? In our work, the way we work, we display the image of God. We display that by the way we act, respond, react. All those will give an indication of your belief in God. To be a Christian is to be a co-laborer with God in the community of humanity. By giving to others, we find true fulfillment. Work is a place where we should be showing that we know Christ as our personal Savior. We're a co-labor with Him in the community of humanity. Basically, when I go to town, whether I go to work, whether I'm throwing freight on the dock, whether I'm up front in the office dealing with somebody who's got a problem and maybe they have an attitude, what am I reflecting to them? It would be easy to get angry and come back at that person who's competing for the work on the floor or for that person who's standing at the HR office window and frustrated and blaming us that their pay is not right. And maybe it was actually their fault, but they're still upset they didn't get their pay. What do I reflect? It's not saying that everywhere you go, people are going to be, Hi, Sue. Nice to see you today. Rob, you're a great guy. That's just not realistic, is it? <laughs> not everybody wants to see you. In fact, if you pass somebody these days, you might even get all kinds of Symbols and signs thrown at you. You know, they're not very nice. <laughs> Road rage, as they call it. To be a Christian is to be a co-labor with God. Are, am I reflecting an attitude and behavior that's going to cause them to realize I'm different, that I know Christ? Work is the place to develop our character in preparation for the work that we will do in the future. You know, in the millennial, we are going to be co-laborers, and in some cases, leading uh, other people. People, the kids who were born, the generations that are born during the millennium, um, we, will be a, we will be part of that workforce. So what we learn now can play a role in helping us at that point. 
The vast majority of problems in the workplace stem from a lack of personal boundaries. I don't think any of us were surprised to hear that when we kind of knew it was coming to that. And if you look at your own jobs, if you look at jobs you've had, that's true. Most of the conflict comes from somebody not wanting to be, not wanting to be responsible for their own work. Why don't you have him do it? That's not my job. I don't get paid to do that. Isn't that what we t start thinking right away? Now, that may not all be wrong, but if the attitude is always that, then maybe we need to look at that attitude. Let's look at some of the problems that come out of the workplace. You're going to see both sides of the coin. Problem number one illustration is getting saddled with another person's responsibility. So let's look at that a little bit. Feelings of resentment will be the outcome of someone who takes on others' responsibility in the workplace. If I'm working to get my work done and I continually get somebody else saying, hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can you do this for me? And I do it, eventually how am I going to feel? Frustrated. You know, hey, I got the same eight hours you do. I get my work done. Why aren't you getting yours done? So I start getting an attitude. Well, then I, after I get my attitude, I get to the point where I don't even want to talk to this guy because I'm afraid I'm going to smack him. The problem there is not that you see the frustration. It's that you're not doing anything about it or what you're going to do about it. Smacking him is not going to change anything. Anger usually escalates anger. We're going to look at the traits that we need to look at, uh, look at a little closer as we go through this. The individual needs to realize they are creating their own unhappiness. It will not change until they take responsibility for their own boundaries. The person who continues to have this feeling of, I'm getting saddled with everybody else's work, and my boss isn't doing a thing about it, so I'm not only mad at this guy, I'm mad at my boss. What's happening here? Am I taking ownership and responsibility to set a boundary, or am I being passive, taking it on, being compliant, as we heard earlier, but in that compliance, beginning to feel frustrated, unhappy, dissatisfied at work, frustrated, and ready to snap? Who's doing it to me? I'm doing it to myself because I'm not taking some proactive steps to, to establish the boundaries to say, look, to that individual, this is my work that I need to get done. I don't know why you can't get your work done, but you need to talk to the supervisor. I can't do it for you. Keeping in mind that I'm not, I don't want to enable them either. I don't want to keep doing it for them and them just not do their work. They need to be able to do their work. Boundary clarification needs to be communicated as to what you are responsible for and the limits set for future reference of what the other person is responsible for. Remember we talked back on the laws. It's, it's important when you're looking at the laws of boundaries that communication and education have to happen first in order for it to come across effectively. We can't assume that they know because they don't normally realize or maybe they do, and us telling them they realize that we're aware of it and it may change. It may not. Expect resistance. Expect anger when you stick to your new boundaries. Just because you communicate it doesn't mean that the other individual is going to go along and say, okay, I realize this set of doors is mine, this set of doors is yours. 
but somewhere along the day saying, oh man, I'm really behind. I've got a bad load over here. Can you do this? Are you prepared to say, no. No, you need to do it yourself. Especially if this relationship has been one that's been taking advantage of you. Do not respond in anger or you will be feeding into his game that somehow it is your responsibility. You know, when we get angry back sometimes after somebody tries to bring it back to us and we start justifying, sometimes what we're doing is we're falling right into that game of they're going to win somehow. They're going to continue to argue because they think that you're going to give them, you're giving them a little bit of hope by not, not you know, by arguing with them. If there's a fight here, maybe I can win it. That's falling right into their game. Do not fall into the trap of justifying why you can't do his work. It's just, it's black and white. You don't have to justify. Do not fall into the trap of justifying. As we look at each one of these problems, they kind of identify what the issue is, and then we talk a little bit about how to reconcile it. Many over-responsible people who work next to an under-responsible person bear the consequences of their coworker. Many over-responsible people who work next to an under-responsible person bear the consequences of their coworker. You know, we're, we live in a life that when you do have people with good work ethic, I see it a lot, who get their work done and they're kind of like, all right, give me something else. I don't like standing around. So they pick up everybody else's stuff. We're getting paid the same, but I'm doing more work. Sometimes that's hard to kind of legislate and set up so that that's not happening. But you have those people who do, who do tend to not want to pick up and carry their part of it. They need to. While at the same time, sacrifice and favor, favors are part of the Christian life. Sacrifice and favors are things that you and I do to show the love of Christ. So I don't want you to not show the love of Christ. Just make sure you understand that you're not enabling. Enabling is not part of the Christian life. We've talked about two types of things here. One is you've got a workaholic who likes to do a lot of the work. You've got other individuals who maybe like to not do a lot of work and let them do it. Let the overworkers do it. There's going to come a point where there's going to be a blow-up. I've seen it too many times. Why am I always doing his work? Why can't he do his own work? In that case, you've got the over-responsible person doing too much, the under-responsible person not. But there are times when you may be working and you see somebody who's working to the best within their limits. And you may go over and help that individual. That's a good thing to do. We're not saying don't only look at your own work. We're saying make sure you're not enabling that person who has irresponsible boundaries. Problem number two, working too much overtime. Work-life balance is a fine line. Working too much overtime can take a toll not only on yourself physically, but on work, family, and family relationships. There has to be a fine line. There needs to be a discussion, especially if you're married and you have children, there needs to be a discussion about how much overtime you can work. Bringing too much work home is going to start affecting the family relationships. It's going to affect you mentally, emotionally, it's going to put stress on the family. 
you need to find that boundary of, okay, I'll do some overtime, but that overtime doesn't include taking it home. You know, and it would be easy to do. Most employers are grateful if you do it. But no, your family doesn't deserve that. You need to draw that line. Predetermine ahead of time how much overtime is possible without upsetting boundaries in both. Predetermine ahead of time, all right, this overtime is only being offered for a week. This is what I'd like to do. Allow your spouse to say, okay, I can adjust my boundaries. I can adjust what I need to do to cover for you. But then again, maybe you want that overtime so bad because financially you want to do something with that money to buy something for the truck or the garage or the, or the yard or whatever. It needs to be an agreement for both of you because if you're doing it only for yourself, your boundaries are, from that point on are starting to get upset. If I'm saying, kind, we'll get through this and just, you know, you can handle this. I'll come home and I'll do this. Be careful you're not upsetting the boundaries at home. You've worked hard to establish good communication with your spouse and your kids. Be very careful because if your boundaries are getting out of whack at work, it will influence home. Be prepared to say no when pressures when pressured to do more. It's interesting, and I've seen this at work, where you have those really good workers. They'll do anything. They don't like to stand around. They like to be busy. They're, they're workaholics. And to see how that when the workflow gets really heavy and everybody's overwhelmed, how much they kind of lean on that individual to do a lot of extra. It happens because that individual will do it. They just want to do it. They're like, okay, fine, fine, fine. But if you keep doing it, I can tell you it's going to come to an end where it's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not getting appreciated for what I'm doing for you guys. You're, you're, I've done all this work, and what do I get out of it? Yeah, I got my regular pay. But do I get recognized at any point in time that I've done extra work? Did you give me, you know, we have things like uh, accommodations, meal vouchers, Coke cards. I always tell the managers, if, you're, if your worker is saying that to you, they're feeling under underappreciated. You need to give them something or you need to give them a break. Give them the gravy load once in a while. Adjust the load. Make sure that even though they're willing to do that, don't take advantage of it. Find a boundary. The next problem, misplaced priorities. Effective workers strive to do an excellent strive to do excellent work and spend their time on the most important things. We're going to initially identify what the characteristics of or of a good worker are. An effective worker, a good worker strives to do excellent work and spend time on the most important things. Effective workers know their limits and work within them, managing their work accordingly. Now, there are two, two things in there I want you to realize that they're saying. A good worker knows his boundaries, his limits, and knows what good quality work looks like. He's got the right focus. His goal is to do it correctly, to do it efficiently, and then to do it as fast as he can. I always tell them when they come in in new hires as new people, I said, it's, there's three things that we look at here. The number one thing is, is that you're safe. The number two thing is that your quality is good. And number three is that you learn to be productive, that you move along. If you get the, any of those backwards, you're an accident looking to happen. 
kind of like in bowling, when you throw the bowling ball, you've got to have the right touch and control on it, same way with your work. If I get real fast and focus on just throwing freight, but I start throwing the wrong freight, I've created more work. That's why we list that that way. It's more important that you're safe, you don't hurt your back. That's number one. Number two, the quality of your work is the most important next. And then productivity just usually comes. It's natural. So that's a good worker, somebody who's got that balance. Problems arise when too much time is spent on unimportant things as a result of poor boundaries. What might this look like? Well, I've actually had good workers lose focus. So they start stopping and talking to people. They start talking about that trailer over there. Or they start talking about this over here. Or they start talking about their other boss. And next thing you know, where's their focus? It's idle. It's not on what they should be doing. Or they may have a spill over here that's going to take a, a large piece of equipment to clean up and they're trying to do it by hand. You, know, you need to know your boundaries. You need to know the protocol. But what happens is, more often than not, is people stop and they talk. And they talk and they lose track of time. And then their work doesn't get done on time. And everybody else is done that's on the same conveyor line except for them. They're normally good workers. What happened? Their focus got focused on unimportant things. Problems arise when we lose focus of the boundaries and our, our boundaries become poor. Saying no to the unimportant, saying no to the inclination to do less than your best. Say no to the unimportant important, and say no to the, and inclination means fleeting thought. Uh, I'll just let it go today. I, that's not the best I do, or that's, you know, that'll pass. Well, if I start letting things just pass, eventually there's going to be a problem. Because the quality of work that's going to the customer, or the problem, quality of work that's going to the next guy down the work could create a major issue down there. I remember when I worked at Tafco, I did the floor molds, one of the most difficult molds in there, that and the frame molds. And I, I remember I learned how to do it with this guy, and he, only, he had a finger missing. I don't know why, but they all called him the three-finger gimp. <laughs> I was like, how did they get gimp out of that? But they, you know, he was the one who brought it up. He would joke about it. But he and I would do those molds, and we could put the molds in and out of there. The problem was that every now and then, whoever cut the metal, you put that mold, that panel in there, put the outside panel, the shiny side that they're going to see on the walk-in coolers, then you put the inside panel in that's going to be the inside part of the cooler that needs to be stainless steel and, and they'll sterilize it. Then you pour in this molten foam that firms up. Well, I can remember a couple different times, one time specifically. It did not matter because what we would do is take these foam, styrofoam things and put them in between the panels to make sure that they didn't collapse. You did not want to have rework. We would put that in there and we'd say, all right, that's good. We'd put it, open it up, there's a big ding. Why did that bend like that? We'd, get our, we'd scratch our head and we'd think, now we put it in there right, so we'd put another panel in. Think, all right, we got it right this time. So we'd get this panel in there and we'd put the styrofoam block, do it all again, readjust, oh, the thing was over here, because it would buckle the inside panel and you can't have that. It won't lock right. So we'd put a styrofoam behind there. Open the door, the ding moved. <laughs> it was in the middle of the panel now. We're like, so after about four or five of these, we're just getting really frustrated. So this old-timer walks over and he goes, this too shall pass. And we just looked at him and went, what? <laughs> he said, this isn't your problem. You're not doing anything wrong. They cut the metal wrong. <laughs> you can only do so much with metal inside this form. We're like, 
oh. <laughs> and we laughed, and the guys around us were laughing. They're like, yeah, somebody over there got off about uh, two millimeters on their press that they were cutting the metal on. The point here is that make sure that you're focused on the right things. We got focused on trying to stop the ding, so we started spending a lot of time, a lot of time, figuring out where to put that reinforcement, and it didn't make any difference. He said, you guys usually do top quality forms. Just run these ones through. I've already gone over to the sheet metal and said, you better recheck your measurements. So when that stack of metal's gone, yeah, it's going to go to rework, but you don't have any control over it. He knew, based on our history, his, history that our moles usually weren't dinged. I mean, you can mess them up by not putting them in there, right? But I always remember what that older gentleman said to me, though. This too shall pass. We were getting really upset. <laughs> we were getting so mad. He said, no. He said, some things you just have no control over, and you just got to let it go. Do the job the best you could. Let it go. It's not your responsibility. Where's my focus? Where's my priorities? If I get too focused on something I have no control over, you know, as the saying goes, I could lose my salvation. <laughs> Don't get to that point. You do the best you can and make sure that you're not passing on quality of work that's not up to standard. Exodus 18, 17 to 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, What are you doing what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. If you remember in the Old Testament, when Moses and the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were setting up the tent. Well, actually, they were still in Egypt. They were setting up the tent. No, they were in the, they were in the wilderness. They were setting up the tent, and everywhere they went, they set up the tent, they set up the tabernacle, and then they would come to Moses with their problems. The problem was Moses was trying to address all the problems. And his father-in-law, I think was a Midianite, he was, he was watching this go by and he says, Moses, you can't take care of every single issue that goes wrong in Israel. You need to delegate it. And that's what happened. They set up judges. They set up different levels of the law where people would come in. If you go back and read Exodus 18, you'll see how somebody from outside the camp of Israel who had come to his area and was set up, that he was able to show them, you can't deal with every single issue that comes to you in life. Sometimes you have to delegate. And even though it's a good thing you're doing, you can't do it all. You've got to learn to say no. And that's our last point on that, on that problem. Limits on good things keep them good. You know, we can get so involved in the church activities, the children's ministry. We can get so involved in other programs similar outside of here. But if you get so involved that you have no time for yourself or your family, is it a good thing anymore? It's, it's, it's gone the other way. Difficulty with coworkers. Remember the law of power that we talked about back in one of the other chapters when we were talking about the different laws. When dealing with difficult people in the workplace, it goes something like this. You can only change yourself. That is the principle behind the law of power. You can only change yourself. You cannot change that other person. 
Someone said to me a long time ago, and I've repeated it many times since. Sometimes what people are saying about you is saying more about them. When somebody's upset and they're cussing and yelling at you and they're going on, you just need to step back from the situation and realize this is describing a type of person that maybe I don't want to really be too involved with. That does not respect my boundaries or anybody else's. To see another person as the problem is to be, to be fixed is to give that person power over you and your well-being. If you try to fix that other person, and we talked a little bit about this in Search for Significance, you've got to be careful of what your boundaries are. The only person that you have any control over is yourself. If you start trying to fix somebody else, it's starting to sound like a little bit of enabling, isn't it? Because you can't fix anybody else. They need to find and meet the natural consequences of their own choices. If we continue to bail them out, they're not growing. They're going to continue to be dependent. Let's take a look at a few points on critical attitudes. Problem number five. Allow critical people to be who they are, but keep yourself separate from them. Actually, those two points are similar in that Difficult co-workers usually also have a critical attitude. And critical people are not somebody that you can talk to about as far as stopping their criticism. You might want to do that with more than one person and not do it on your own. You can't control the overly critical person, but you can control your exposure to them. I know there are a couple of people that are difficult to work with, even where I work. And my goal is I focus on my work, make sure I do it correctly. And when I need to interact with those people, I go with structured boundaries of this is what I'm going to ask, this is what I'm deal with. And if they start into their criticism and they start condescending and making it somehow my problem, I'm just going to leave it and say, let me know what you decide. <laughs> and then you walk away. Let me know what you decide. It's not my problem especially when they're a manager, too. <laughs> Let me know what you decide. Proverbs 9, 7, 8. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. I like that proverb. I've used it quite a bit. Do not try to rebuke somebody who is critical and who is verbally abusive. Realize who they are. Limit your exposure to them. Because the scripture says confronting them is not necessarily going to make it better. Seek counsel before you would even try that. Problem number six, conflict with authority. We're going to talk a little bit about transference. Transference occurs when you experience feelings in the present that really belong to some unfinished business in the past. Transference occurs when you experience feelings in the present that really belong to someone, some unfinished business in the past. The most common transference relationship is usually an employer-employee relationship. The most common. Often those relationships trigger authority conflicts that have their roots in our past. 
I've shared with you a few times about the anger and the conflict that went between my dad and I. One of the things that started making me aware of I needed to deal with that anger was the fact that I had problems with authority. I didn't really want to, I didn't like the way they would talk to me. I would take it personal. I would get hurt. And then I would sulk on it for a while. And then I'd be miserable a few days. And maybe I would get enough, comp- enough confidence up and go in and say, I don't agree with what you said. And oftentimes when I would do that, then I, wouldn't, I would actually be emotionally upset. And it was uh, one of my mentors who started to point out to me, you've got unfinished business. And I said, what is that? He said, let's talk about your dad and yours relationship. Okay. And that's when he started to help me realize, what happened every time your dad raised his voice and got loud? I said, we'd all probably start crying. Because <laughs> it wasn't just loud, it was forceful. When we were waiting for the switch to come right after it, he goes, yep. So whenever you get into conflict with a boss, what happens? Similar reaction. He said, you need to let go of that anger. You need to realize that God's not like that. And you need to realize that you holding on to that anger is interfering with your ability to work right now in the situations you're in. You need to let go of it. You need to let go and let God. Let God be the one to deal with whatever happened between your dad. You need to seek forgiveness and let that person have forgiveness. Free yourself up so that your normal adult emotions can come and go and not get stuck. The boss-employee relationship often triggers authority conflict that has its roots in our past. You may be looking at this person through your own distortion, through your own unfinished business, and that's what I realized. I was looking at the conflict with some of these individuals and not realizing it, a lot of the emotional unrest that would happen when I was in a conflict with my dad would start cropping up and getting away. And I would have difficulty actually saying what I really wanted to say. And oftentimes I'd walk away initially and not even finish the dialogue because I just didn't have the peace about it. I was too upset. Problem number seven, expecting too much work. Expecting too much of work. Often people place unrealistic expectations on work as if their employer should overlook their irresponsible behaviors like their, parent, their family did. We see this day in and day out. You know, when we hire a lot of the younger people, they come in and they're not used to that kind of hard physical work, and all of a sudden they just stop coming. It's like, I can't do this. <laughs> well, that's the job you said you could do when we hired you. The work ethic is different. Sometimes... These individuals don't see a problem that they've called off one or two days every week for the last six weeks. Well, my dad used to let me do that. Well, we're not your dad. (laughs) You're getting paid for something here. We need somebody who's going to be reliable. We have freight to move. You know what I'm saying? You'd be the same way. You look at it and you're going, I'm not your dad. You need to be here. You need to be here to work. Problems arise when the employer is expecting adult functioning and the the person involved wants his childhood needs met. I just can't do this. I'm just not happy anymore. Well, I can't help you with those two. I can only pay you for the work that you do. Problems often arise when when the employer is looking for or is expecting adult behavior but the person brings childhood behavior. Work is not 
obligated to provide all the emotional support you may need. You are getting paid for a service. You know, there's a day where I would think I didn't have to say that. But in this day and age, I find myself saying that often. You know, we can offer sympathy, we can offer empathy, we can offer support. But it's up to you to deal with your issues and be here for work so you can get paid. I can't pay for not coming to work. You know, Dad might have done that or Mom might have done that, but that's not the way the work environment works. Health comes from owning unmet childhood needs and working them out to a mature level of functioning. You know, it's hard to put it in one sentence, but when I think about the different individuals who I've been affiliated with and it was obvious that they had a lot of unmet needs, and then you look at their life and you wonder why they're tired, you wonder why they can't function, you know, they wonder why they can't you know, continually stay above water. Um, one gentleman's probably in his 30s right now and he's missed Oh my goodness, he's probably missed at least six months out of the last ten months. A lot of it has to deal with his girlfriend left him. I'm like, wow. She must have been playing more of a role of just than girlfriend, maybe mom, maybe caretaker, maybe just can't function. And I'm just shaking my head going, you're willing to not come to work and get paid. How are you going to live? You see what I'm saying? It's not thought through. It's, it's like they don't understand. He doesn't have a healthy mind, let alone a healthy body. He's not eating correctly. He's not functioning correctly. And then he wonders why he's depressed and not able to work. If I don't deal with all my unmet needs, even as an adult, I'm going to deal with things like depression, anxiety, physical illness, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, different things. I need to deal with those issues from my childhood that have interfered with my ability to work as an adult. Problem number eight. Taking work-related stress home. Just as we have emphasized good personal boundaries at home, good boundaries are needed to keep work issues at work. Every now and then my boss will say, do you have a cell phone? I said, yes. Can I get the number? I said, yes. I said, but don't call me all the time because I don't always have it because <laughs> I'm going to be off. He wanted my cell phone number when we went away for a week's long vacation. He was worried about dealing with stuff that he doesn't always deal with. I was like, you can call. If, I, if my phone's on me, I'll answer. <laughs> but he thinks if he has a cell phone, he's got at least a connection. Don't take work home. It will eventually affect your family. Conflict at work needs to be addressed at work, or it will eventually find its way into your home and in the form of emotional stress. Conflict at work needs to be addressed at work. I can remember back when I first started working at the mental health unit back in the 80s. That was stressful. There were some things that I had to address and work with that I had not seen before, and I would come home and I didn't want to talk about it, but often I would talk about it in general because my wife would be like, you know, you're not talking. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily patients. It was usually coworkers. You're dealing with the stress of whose responsibility is this and 
taking on too much responsibility with the care of the patients. I just remember that I had gotten in over my head and I needed, that's one of the reasons I went back to, to college because I felt like I was in over my head at times. I didn't understand the stress of the work, but I know that it affected our family because the first thing she was saying to me was, are you okay? Well, yeah, I'm okay. Well, you're awful quiet. Your kids are right at your feet wanting to play and you're not paying attention to them. I didn't really notice. She goes, I know. That's why I'm bringing it to your attention. Are you okay? So it made me realize I need to deal with the stress at work, at work. Because when I come home, those little kids are only little kids so long. And they need you. And when they get older, they still need you. You need to let the stress of work at work, air will eat you up and it will affect your home. If you're expecting too much time, energy, and other resources, if you're expending, I used the wrong word there, if you are expending too much time, energy, and other resources at work, you may not have much left for your home life. You need to realize that what you spend wherever you go, you still have obligations that are higher than work at home. You still have obligations at home that take top priority if you really have your priorities in line. Disliking your job. Last one and we'll wrap up. Boundaries are where our identity come from. Boundaries define what I what, what is me and what is not me. We've talked about that several times, but I'm bringing it back up so that you realize there are things in life, whether it is a, a conflictual relationship, whether, whether it's your job, whether it's a particular person, if you're letting them change your boundaries, they're changing you. We've talked about it right from get-go. Boundaries have to deal with this is my yard, and these are my fences, and these are my gates. I need to be careful what I allow into, those, into my backyard where my precious things are, my kids, my wife, my family. And if I'm not protecting that, then it's going to start caving in on it. Work is part of our identity in that it taps into our particular giftedness and the exercise of those gifts in the community. Work is part of our identity. We have to figure out where it fits. Especially with men, I think more maybe than women, because men see their identity in their work. Women do, but it's different, I think, for, women, for men in the sense of they can become a workaholic because they get a sense of feeling good about themselves, if they can do a good job, if they can fix the car right, if they, can, if they can fix the house right, they can do this electrical thing, and they figure out this problem that's had everybody stumped. The sense of, oh, man, that was figured that out. Ugh, conquered that one, right? <laughs> but if I'm not careful and I lose focus and I've spent hours on end of my energy, my time, Where's everybody else at? What's in my backyard? What's not in my backyard? Me. What's not there with my family? Me. Work, friends, and culture are all very strong influences on our boundaries and our identity. Make sure your boundaries are strong enough not to cave into these pressures. Make sure your boundaries. And if we had time, we would go into what makes strong boundaries. Actually, it goes back over the last four chapters is what makes strong boundaries. Having good boundaries with my wife, my parents, my kids, my friends, that builds a lot of strength. But work is one 
that can influence it and take away from the others if we're not careful. Romans 12.2 tells us, it speaks of having boundaries against these types of pressures. You know, what's 12.2 talk about? Be not conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the Word of God renews your mind. It helps you to know what good and perfect will of God is. Just a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 12, I'm sorry, Proverbs 31:45. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what laws decree and deprive all, all the oppressed of their rights. Talking about a balance. Somebody who's in a position of power, or somebody who's in a position of authority, if, it's not, if you're not careful, you can get focused on the pleasures and principles and privileges of having that power and neglect the rights of others. And then also Ecclesiastes 11.9. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart in whatever you see, but know that for all these things, God will bring judgment. Be careful where you expend your energy. Be careful that it reflects the character of God. Be careful that you're taking care of your family, your boundaries, your relationship with God first, your family second, church, then work. Keep the priorities in line, and that's where health comes from. Spiritual health comes from a proper perspective. A lot of points in this lesson. A lot of things to make us think about. What pulls me away from my focus on the Lord?